0: Tom, thank you. So we're finishing up our study in in the first seven chapters of Acts this morning. We'll be looking at the life of Stephen, right? And all of us know about Stephen. And and this morning, we're going to be talking about the nature. Honestly, we're going to kind of touch on fame, although that chapter seven has nothing to to do with actual fame itself. But I want to clue into it for some things I think God is doing and some things I want you to see just in the way that I view the life of of Stephen. And I want to begin at this point, Sarah, and recognize, I don't know about you, but I... I, I, I'm not friends with famous people. I I don't know. Some of like, I saw like his Brian Clark here. He was hanging out with Cole Swindle the other day and getting some video because Brian's really cool and popular. Right. But I don't really know anybody famous. My, my only claim to fame around fame over the years is who I look like my doppelganger. Right. The lead singer of Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl. Right. I mean, literally, especially when I was younger, like I think I I talked about it before here, but like when I was younger, like, I mean, like 10 years ago, he and I really were spitting image. And so I would go to the airport, and people would stop me. I went to the concert one time, and people were nonstop taking pictures with me all night. One girl started, like, literally hyperventilating when I walked by her because she thought, I'm, literally, that's a 100% true story. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm not him. I'm not him. I'm not Dave Grohl, right? And so you can go look it up, lead singer of the Foo Fighters. We used to like, this like twins, right? And so that's my, that's my closest connection to fame is this who I look like, no one that I know or anything I've actually done in my life. There's nothing famous about me. But there's something about the nature of fame and this reality of being known that is such a part of our culture that I do want to touch on this morning in the life of Stephen. And So with that in your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, 8 through 15. I'm not going to read all of chapter 7 this morning because it's just super long, but I do want to read these verses and then we're going to go all the way through to chapter 8. In our, t- in our time this morning. It says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, or those of Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. These would have been, these would have been Grecian Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, not, Greece, not Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, but just Greek-speaking Jews. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the st- Spirit with which Stephen was speaking, then they secretly instigated men who said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses against God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us.' And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? And then Stephen answered, and then you have all of chapter 7. Now. This morning, regarding Stephen, again, I want to build out a few thoughts about him. I want to actually look at his actual teaching from chapter seven. I think it's really, really important to see the heartbeat of his message, and then we'll kind of marry the two at the end. But regarding fame and being known in this world, everyone is unknown, and everyone is nameless to the world until they're not. right? So, for example, put this guy on the screen right here. Some of you may know him. Most of you probably do. How many of you have heard his song that he sang, right? Yep, this is a song called Richmond, North of Richmond, right? This is Oliver Anthony. Some of you have heard of him. Some of you have not. But the reality is this. He literally was this mountain man. You can take it off the screen now. He was this mountain man from North Carolina who just liked to sing songs. He sang a political song. I am not speaking about the song or anything about him. I'm just saying. He went from literally being someone who had like 900 listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, to within a week, millions upon millions of listeners, right? He went from basically living in poverty every year, hardly anything, to like overnight now. He has tons and tons of wealth. All of a sudden, people who had been maybe watching on television, people who were influential, people who were famous, are now calling him. And all of a sudden, from 2020 to the entry point, to 2023, to, to like now, here's this guy who millions of people all over the nation know who he is from literally living over here unknown overnight to being famous and that's the way that fame works from like one moment nameless and faceless and not famous to all of a sudden overnight being known and being famous when I think about Stephen today I recognize almost everyone in the Christian world knows his name. They know who he is. They know the fact that he was the first Christian martyr. He is known. That's his commodity. He is a known name. He doesn't have a last name, a middle name. He's just Stephen, right? And all of a sudden, right, we know who this guy is. In the world in which Luke is writing, Luke is writing about 30 to 50 years After the death of Jesus and the death of Stephen, Stephen died. It was a martyr about two to three years after the resurrection of Jesus So pretty early on. This writing is 30 to 50 years after this moment. So after his death, Stephen now to all those who were reading and all who were hearing the story from Luke, he would have been considered a hero. Everyone knew his story using today's language, he would have been famous. Luke's readers would have known his story. They would have celebrated his story as it would have been widely circulated in the early church, and his story, listen, would have acted as a catalyst and an encouragement for all who heard it. Here's this guy, right? He was a Greek speaking he's a Greek speaking Jew, and he all of a sudden took this stand against the man right and he proclaimed the gospel and he proclaimed jesus he didn't back down to the point he was willing to die and jesus literally stood by the right hand of the father and later on in chapter 8 he stood by the father right hand of the father and honored stephen and, and welcomed him into heaven right like everyone knows this story widely circulated his life And his actions would have had a massive and profound influence influence on everyone who heard the story and knew about him. But here's the point that I want to make this morning. Up until Stephen's moment, he was just another nameless and faceless young man who was known in his little circle of Greek-speaking Jews here, who was living life full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit, according to verse eight, whose only desire was obedience to and love for God, love for his neighbors and specifically the calling that he had to reach out to and bless the Grecian Greek speaking widows, serving them and serving God both in word and deed. And here's the point. If you want to be famous, you don't hang out primarily with Grecian Jews, right? Like there was nothing about him and his aspirations. He was longing for something. There's nothing in his aspirations that you see. He was clamoring to be known. He literally is just faithfully serving right, faithfully serving these Grecian widows and just going about life being faithful to God. He was simply a servant of God, and primarily, like some like his family knew of him, right? The, the little circle around him knew about him, but the world had no idea who he was. But as a faithful man. God used him. We're told in verse 8 he performed wonders and signs among the people, just like the apostles, which is really interesting, a whole other thing to go study, and just like Jesus, we see in verse 9 that his primary audience was Grecian Jews, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians specifically, the freedmen, as listed in verse 9, like, the, like we talked about this, the Alexandrians and the, whatever it was, like some of the, the Asian community there, right? They were probably speaking and like they were probably there just gathering for Greek speaking gatherings. Here's the point. Like, talk about the, the synagogue, the freedmen. The reality is this you had the temple and the apostles, and they were over here doing their Hebrew speaking thing over here. But they probably had their own little section over here, the synagogues of the Greek speakers, right? Because Greek people couldn't speak. Hebrew. So they had their own little hangout. You ever passed by those churches or been one of those churches that has, it you know, has the English speaking service at 11 and then a Spanish speaking service at like one, that's probably what's happening right here. They couldn't speak Hebrew. So they had their own little smaller hangout over here and they were just doing life speaking Greek and probably proclaiming what the apostles been proclaiming over here and doing it over here. So everyone could be on the same page. So they weren't, they weren't in the big show right they were in the small show even so he's hanging out in the small show he's hanging out with grecian just grecian widows right with no aspirations of being known and as we can tell here all of a sudden he becomes known this is where stephen is and this is what his life looks like he's been speaking right he's getting to get up and speak in this little small hangout here and in this group there were greek-speaking jews who were in town And they heard the message that Stephen was preaching. And in verse 12, it says, They stirred up the people. This is verse 12. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes against Stephen. Here's the point this was a few years later. The group that they were stirring up to get angry with Stephen were the very same people and the very same crew that had crucified Jesus. That's really important to recognize. The leaders of the day and the people they were stirring up against Stephen would have been the very same named people who were against Jesus and ultimately responsible for his crucifixion. Important for the conversation in this, then, is the understanding of the foundation of Jewish faith. You have these Jewish leaders, and the foundation of their faith before the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 would have been this, what I call the three great pillars of popular Jewish faith. It's on the screen. You can go ahead and put it there for me, the three great pillars of popular Jewish faith and piety. One was land, specifically the promised land. Second would be the law, or the law of Moses. And the third was the temple itself, which was their place of worship. And Stephen's message, he speaks of the first and the third one at length. So we're gonna dive now into the message. So get the reality of who Stephen is. And here's Stephen over here who who's not clamoring for it, aspiring to some level of fame, he just wants to be faithful to God, a lover of God, he wants to, to serve God by serving these widows in the moment, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And so in this place the Jewish people, the land again represented God's promise of a home. So we talk about the land. We think about going to Abraham. I'm going to take you to the promised land. Land represented God's favor. Land represented the place where they were to dwell with God as his people, to dwell with God as his family. And with God, they saw themselves reigning and ruling the world with justice from that place. Land is central to their understanding of God, his faithfulness to them, and their relationship with him. Land represented the fulfillment of God's promise to them again. It's why it's called the promised land, right? This is because listen, they see the land and the promised land, Palestine, as the focus of everything for them in their relationship with God. And they're going to see Stephen challenge that in their mind, right? Second is the temple. The temple represented the place of God's presence where with his people, his quote-unquote dwelling place. The temple was central to their worship. Their temple is literally central to everything in their life. It is central to the Jewish faith. And in Stephen's message we're going to find doesn't dismiss either of the central components of their lives. He just hopes to reshape them in light of Jesus. So again, I'm not going to read the entire chapter this morning. The beautiful thing is, is you have time all week to go study and read it for yourself. I'm going to give you these nuggets and you take those nuggets. Then you go back and you study it for yourself You can grow in your knowledge of chapter seven. That's going to kind of give you some high points this morning. So Stephen's overarching message. You can take a picture of this one if you want or write them down in your notes. You can have them when you're reading. These are some of his overarching takeaways from his teaching. First, God's significant activity in the Old Testament usually took place outside the confines of Palestine. Primarily took place outside of the promised land. We're going to look at that here in a second. Second, wherever God meets his people, you're going to find can be called holy ground. So not just in the temple, not just in Palestine, right? Holy ground can be anywhere where God is. Third, God is the God who calls his own to move forward in the religious experience. So this idea of continuing to grow and understand we're gonna look at this in the context, some of, of Moses. Forth, therefore, dwelling in the land of promise requires a pilgrim lifestyle in which the land may be appreciated but never venerated. Again, super important, for, super important for Stephen, the message that he's sharing. Now, let's go through these. In verses 9 through 16, Stephen argues that God, and you can look at it if you're looking, have your Bible in front of you, you can just look at it. It says, Stephen argues that God was with Jacob. And the 12 patriarchs, who were Jacob's son, who became the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Every single, every single Jew was a part of one of the tribes, right? And so he's coming and saying, hey, here's, this, here's Jacob. Here is the 12 tribes and the founder of the 12 tribes, his sons. These are central to our faith. You know all about them. And they lived in Egypt, which is not in the promised land. In fact, the only portion that they owned in the promised land was simply a tomb in the promised land. The only time they ever would have lived there is when they died. So they didn't really live there. They just died there, right? His argument starts by showing that that God's significant activity usually takes place outside the confines of Palestine, the promised land, outside of Jerusalem. He's trying to show from Scripture, hey, recognize God's not bound by a place, right? Verse 17 through 36 Stephen recounts the Old Testament Messiah figure Moses and his life story. We all know of Moses, right? Stephen focuses on the fact that Moses grew up in Egypt, was Jewish by birth, but Egyptian by culture, having been raised in the kingdom just like Grecian Jews, right? They were Jewish by culture, but it lived in Greek-speaking areas. He was then called by God, Moses was, in the desert at Mount Sinai, outside the Promised Land. And what did God call the place that Moses stood? Holy ground. Right? The idea is simple. Wherever God meets with his people, then is holy ground. Not because of any inherent holiness of the land itself right, how they would have viewed promised land, right, or maybe the temple, but holy because a holy God was present. And he then ends by telling the story of Moses as a Messiah figure, the deliverer of his people, who did signs and wonders that point everyone to the fact of God's presence and God's intervention and God's salvation. It would not have been lost on the hearers, and it's the same language used by the early church to describe Jesus. So he's trying to awaken to the fact of who Moses was outside of Jerusalem, the promised land, outside of the temple, right? I want you to begin to see that Moses was a Messiah-type figure, much like Jesus. Let's get on verses 44 through 50. Stephen then focuses on the tabernacle. Focus on the tabernacle as the expression of worship during their wilderness time post-Egypt pre-promised land. Like, you've all seen the movies, you've read the stories, you've seen the flannel graphs in like kids' school. Remember, like, the, remember, you remember, you remember Charlton Heston, right? You remember, Benny he goes in, he's got his hair off like this, and he's up there talking to Pharaoh, and they all leave, and they go through the Red Sea, but they then sin. And so God sends us on this, like, eternal journey, what they call the wilderness time, but God was with them. Remember, they would say they built the tabernacle. It was just a tent of meeting. It was, like, literally a tent, and they would place it, and literally people would sit there and watch as the presence of God would hover, and then the presence of God would descend. They could literally see the physical, tangible presence of God rising and falling, upon this tent. And so Stephen's just coming to say, listen, we have so venerated the temple, but don't forget, we venerated the understanding that God's spirit, like listen, God's presence would rise and fall in a tent in the wilderness outside of the promised land. Just trying to paint this picture of like, stop putting God in a box, right? And that's a message for us today, isn't it? We venerate and make certain places and things and moments holy, But the reality is wherever you are with a holy God can be a holy place and a holy moment and a holy time. It's a beautiful place. And so it begins to like break down the walls of who is God and where is his presence and how can he move like this moment right here with with like an angel, Julia singing for us in worship is no more holy than me sitting in this is a terrible picture. I'm sorry, but me sitting in my boxers, right, in my chair in my office and just inviting God's spirit to flow, or sitting around the dinner table at Mellow Mushroom with friends and talking about Jesus and asking His spirit to come. Right, Stephen's trying to make this moment say, "Listen, don't, don't listen. Venerate holy moments." But don't venerate it as the only place of God's holy moments and holy people and holy place. He can move anywhere, at any time, and do anything. So He says, "Listen." He's trying to give them a gift. Do you know people who are stuck in their ways, and by it be a blessing if they got unstuck? He's just trying to unstuck them, right? Trying to unstuck them in this moment. That's the word I just made it up. You're welcome. Now, in this. God's presence not come by a place. That's the heartbeat. I just want you to you can read this like the heartbeat. So so um, Stephen quotes Isaiah chapter sixty six verses one and two, which is which is Acts seven forty nine and fifty, where he says this on the screen. What kind like God speaking prophetically through Isaiah? What kind of house will you actually build for me? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made everything that you're trying to place me in, right? It's like, it's a beautiful resting. thing. I'm just so much bigger in your welcome because I need to be, right? Because I'm God. Don't box me in. It's a beautiful thing. Stephen's trying to speak the heartbeat. Steve, the heartbeat of Stephen, he's trying to honor the foundations of Jewish faith, the land and temple of great things, but he's hoping to awaken them to the universal nature of God's love and lordship. He cannot and will not be confined to one place. Or one people, because he's for all people. Also at the heart of Stephen's message, as alluded to earlier, is the linking of Moses to, to Jesus. This is that verse 37 through 38. You can see it on the screen. This is the mo- so uh, Stephen's speaking, says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This, this one' he's talking this is, this is the one, Moses is the one. Moses is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him about Sinai, and with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Stephen is hoping to use this time again to awaken a very pious group of God-fearing Jewish leaders to awaken them to that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that they've literally devoted their life to. It is really sad because the Pharisees and the Sadducees really are great people. They sound, like if you were to do a side-by-side description of who they were, they would sound like most Christians today. They are so convicted by what their, their conviction of the law and the scripture. They want to live holy. They want to make sure they separate themselves from sin. They want to go after God. Like at, at the core of who they are, there was such a hunger for actually for God. And they unfortunately missed it. And I think Stephen's actually broken for them. Rather than throw stones at overly religious people, Stephen had compassion for them and tried to speak truth and love. It's a model for us. So in this, he wants to set them free, help them see that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So Moses spoke of raising up a prophet like me from among his people, for his people, which means that Israel, is important, which means that Israel, because Moses said, hey, someone else is coming, then Israel should not limit the revelation and redemption of God to Moses' teachings, verse 37 and 38. Moses is great. But he's saying you have placed him on an unhealthy pedestal. That's what you do with famous people, right? You put them on a pedestal and create unrealistic understanding of who they are and you make them not human anymore. They've done that. Moses knew of one who was coming after him. He does not want, he does not want, Moses did not want to get in the way of the Messiah, Second, just as Moses was rejected by his own people, even though he was God's redeemer, so too Jesus was rejected by his people and the leaders who were sitting at the table. This is Moses' message. Again, that's not all of it, obviously. I'm just kind of giving you high points. What's the point? Stephen was not received. Stephen was considered a blasphemer, and so Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. Stephen went from, in that moment, a nameless, faceless, faithful servant of Jesus to being a famous, known worldwide, foundation of the church person. Why is all this important? Well, Stephen's message teaches us that or broadens the horizon of God's reach and influence from Jerusalem to the world, right? It's like, I want you to broaden your horizon too. The message of Stephen shows Grecian Jews and in time Gentiles that God has a place for anyone in the kingdom. I was so convicted as we were singing that last song, and I don't know what it was now. I was so and I prayed it, but I was so convicted because I know I know some of your stories. Like I know your stories. I know the thing some I again, being your pastor, I, I know some of the, the dark stories that you're not gonna get up here and share with people. Right? I know the things that when you sing these songs, that on one side you worship, and the other side, other side you lament because you do have a story to tell. And now the enemy sometimes, dark at night, will take these stories of broken places and he'll try to feed on them and try to remind you of who you used to be and how you're really still that person and that you really can really never amount to anything and that you're really kind of worthless. And how could you do those things and try to, rise, just to raise up and build shame in you? As we sang this song, I just was thinking of Stephen fighting in the moment and just saying, no, no, God has a place for anyone in the kingdom. God can create holy moments at any time for any person at any place, no matter what their story is of where they are or where they have been. And right? As long as we turn to Jesus and give our lives to him, he says, I am your father. I'm a father to you who was fatherless. I am now your home and I've placed you among a people who are your home. Yes, that is your past, but the nature of forgiveness for me, and this is the nature of God's forgiveness. He literally says, but I no longer can remember what you did because when I forgave you, I forgot. That's just the nature of it. That's the power of my ability. So I have literally taken your sin and I've washed it clean. I no longer define you that way way anymore i am your god i'm a god to anyone at any time any place in the kingdom the third the message of stephen confirms that jesus truly is the long awaited messiah but here's what i want to end this morning i want to make the point that stephen's life one that is basically something that's more inferred from his life and honestly kind of how i'm reading the season that we're in is I, I find vital uh, in the message and uh, the season that we live something important with the life of Stephen. Listen, I'm almost done, so I want you to like to say I'm going to focus for the last five minutes, right? I'm going to focus five minutes, right? Focus super hard for the last five minutes. Because I want you to see that in this, we live in a world that clamors for and longs for fame and longs to be known and longs to be friends with people who are known. We are quick to place people on pedestals, we're, and we 're quick to revere people and to revere them with our words and revere them with praise. We do this outside of the church, but, but unfortunately, we also do it all the time inside the church, and we create Christian famous people. And I don't care a human being is a human being. And somewhere along the way, every human being, when they are like just venerated and praised without someone holding them accountable and humility and challenging that, will always begin to believe their press and put themselves in a place that's unholy and unhelpful. I don't know about you, but over the last... I means for a long time now but over the last couple of months specifically people who i have I have respected greatly have fallen with Saying there's decades. I think about the Ravi Zacharias story from several years ago. I'm like, that's the one that says messed with my head nonstop. Here's this guy who is impacting the kingdom supposedly. People are speaking here and doing all of these things. He's impacting people worldwide and living this whole delusional life of defending self and claiming. Listen, for this whole separate life and believing alike a delusion and saying, no, no, this is okay because I'm so important and i find great danger in that we see this again all the scandals and in these moments whether we wanted to or not or fully believe like god's grace is sufficient but it's hurting the testimony of the church and it does hurt the name of jesus Speaking to this phenomenon, Leonard Ravenhill once said, you can put it on the screen because I want you all to see these words. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Leave it up there long enough, whether you're here or you're listening online, and I want you to sit with those uncomfortable words for a minute and figure out, is that partially defining me? Didn't define Stephen. He's like, man, I am grateful to sit with these Grecian Jews, Jewish women, Christian women. I am grateful just to sit here and not be part of the big show, but be part of the little show down here. i going to be faithful. I want to serve. Not about my. Not about me. You can go ahead and take it off now, Josh. Thank you. But I will read it the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Stephen, yes, God made him famous. Stephen never knew he was famous. right? Never knew he was famous. Stephen didn't make Stephen famous. he didn't he didn't like also to start posting his great stories of serving the Grecian Jews on his social media pages to get likes. Right, he didn't put the moment where he was prayed for, the picture of him getting prayed for by the apostles, and put it on. Just drop it there with no words, just to see how people would respond. Right, so he can get his likes and like all of a sudden be somebody. Right, he wasn't clamoring, he wasn't going after. Right, he just wanted. I just want to be faithful. I just want to love God and I want to love my neighbor. Right, he became famous, but it wasn't his aspiration. I will tell you as I look at the life of Stephen, I was just undone by his fame. I was undone by that. This is the impact he has worldwide, right? But I recognize he was just a kid, right? He was just a kid, right? Who was just living his life, being faithful to God, saying, yes, I will go serve the least of the least with the Grecian Jewish women, and I'm going to love it, right? Christian Jewish women, I'm just going to love them more. I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly. I'm going to go to the little show and get a chance just to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to proclaim a truth about Jesus. I'm going to try to use use this truth to awaken religious people because I'm so broken for them because they're so missing the understanding of the Messiah and just want to be faithful to God and preach the message and be faithful here. And God, you do what you do to the point that literally when Stephen says, I looked up, he said, I looked up and I saw to heaven and I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, right? And his face was glowing, right? And it's like, oh, and God received him. We live, and we're supposed to live, for an audience of one. And it's supposed to be enough. This is not the heartbeat of what Stephen's trying to get at Luke 7, and I know that, right? I'm reaching for this one, but I just feel it's so important. I feel it's so important because it is true about him. The message that... That Stephen preached and the takeaways that I shared with you, dive into those. Those are the heartbeat of Scripture. But I think in our culture, in today's moment, this message, I believe tomorrow, and I think Tammy, Tammy and I talked this week. Tammy Hutchins, our good friend, we talked on Monday, and I was, I was just, I was just, I was just like. Like, you know how you just ooze these thoughts off of you, what God's Spirit's teaching you, right? And I said, I believe it is the nameless and the faceless generation who will be used by God, who are just faithful, God-fearing servants of the Lord that will be used to bring about the great movement of God's Spirit in the end days. And she's like, did you hear my message from Asbury last week? I said, no, just that's what I preached, right? It was super cool, right? This idea of the nameless and the faceless, the people who are unknown but are just faithful, who are known by Jesus. And I want to invite you to be one. Now, this is a total, like, herky jerky moment. you got these envelopes on the way in, right? It has nothing to do with my message. But it has something to do with Stephen. Remember we talked about the Koopa last week, the idea they would go around and they would um, – Take up money and goods every single Monday. They would bring them to people who knew what was happening among the the the, the widows and the poor, and they would then take that money and then they would distribute it to those who had need in the body of Christ. Right, and they would just kind of care for and do family together. This is our year-end offering. I know we're getting to the end of the year. Our year-end offering this year is above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. So there's two separate things you're giving to. Normal vintage giving and then for our year-end gift. Why am I putting out here today? Because we want to practice the kupa at Christmas. So some of you are supposed to give to this. Some of you right here are then supposed to receive from it. Okay? So... Here's what we're doing. We'll get more details to you later. But if you're at a place of financial need at the end of this season, you come and say, I can't pay my bills, I can't pay for a and We're not going to go pay for your Sports Illustrated you know, thing, right, the magazine. We're going to pay for things that actually you need for life, right? So whether it's medical bills or whether it's for your, for your gas and your electricity or things that you have going on, maybe just get yourself into a really, really bad place. What are, what's going to happen is we're going to take – some of our executive leaders and we're going to have you literally bring your bills into us. You're going to give them to us with your name attached to them and then we're going to sit down and go through all of those and we're going to pay your bills for you out of what your Christians, your your family is giving you through the kupa, through the basket, right? So that's what we're doing this year. Now, we may not have to, listen, if we have more come in beyond that, so we have more money come in and we have needs in the body, then we'll figure out, out what to do with that, right? Gary was a part of it with me last time. Gary, was it so much fun? We sat there and did that like, I don't know, eight years ago, bro. It was so much fun. We just sat there and laughed and like, this is so much fun giving money away to people in our body that we love and know, right? It's great to give money. who we don't know, it's more fun to give to those people we do know, right? So we're going to practice Coupa with our year gifts. So you're giving so that you can Trust us, than to give it to those that are in need, like you see in the Koopa, like you see in Acts 2, and like Jamar led us through in Acts chapter 4. Now, with that next week, Jamar, Jamar's right here, raise your hand, Jamar's going to be on stage be next week, right? <clears throat> we're going like to vote who's better looking, it's going to be super fun, right? But he's going to come up here, and we're going to sit here together next week, and we're going to kind of go through our $2 bill type stories that hopefully you sent him. Right? So if you have not, if you have not like if you gave your dollar bill away and you have not shared your story yet with him on his email, I should have put it on the screen I forgot to do that, Josh. I don't know if you can find that from a couple of weeks ago while I'm just kind of stalling for time. Um, but I would love for you then to send that email to him, like here's the story of me giving my two dollar bill away, kind of this acts four piece of just coming and being a blessing to someone, doing it in the name of Jesus for the sake of the gospel, right? And just to say if I was praying for you, if have been praying, our churches doing this i just want to love you and god wants to love you through this if you have stories i want you to share those with jamar uh this upcoming week and then we're going to take some of those and tell some of those stories on sunday morning and talk about some other things then we're gonna have a really fun announcement next week so you need to be here for it so all right i just said a lot i just said a lot everything deep breath now there it is yeah take a picture of that if you didn't get it last week all right let's see. josh is the best thanks bud all right i'm going to pray for us and I'm going to invite you to respond as the Lord leads, right? If you come this morning, and we have our offering baskets for an expression of worship. We have our um, elements here for communion. If you want to take communion, if you just want to stare here at Jesus holding the Lamb, Right. This picture for staying Sunday that Laura has painted for us, the idea that Jesus, he's just a God who carries his children who are in need. And maybe it's about staying Sunday, but maybe it's actually about you this morning and recognizing, man, I just need God to kind of hold me this morning. Great. Let's let him do that. Um, Julia and Jane, don't go ahead and come forward, guys, while I'm talking. Um, And they're going to lead us this morning in worship. I just encourage you to take a deep breath, rest before the Lord. Ministry teams will be on both sides. If you come this morning in need of Jesus in any area of your life, they want to pray for you. Okay? So let me pray for us, and then we will end our service. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you just for the testimony of Stephen. We thank you for the gospel message you proclaimed, Jesus, of, of you being present at all places, at all times. You were in the temple, but you were also everywhere else. And that you love to give the promised land, but you're present with anybody in any land that they're in. And that as the tabernacle is going all over the place, that, Lord, you've called people to live missionally, and you promise to be with them, God, whether they're literally in Turkey and Istanbul serving you, Jesus, whether they're in India, whether they're in Scotland. God, whether they're in Dallas, Georgia, you commit to be with them, to lead them, and to guide them, and to create holy moments for them as they live the faithful life that Stephen modeled for us. So, Jesus, we love you. Come and have your way. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. We all respond as the Lord leads.